What is good, everybody, man? Welcome into the Blue Bloods Coach's Corner Edition. Myself, my guy, Coach Fred, as we recap all the action across the FCS HBCU football after a wild week five, man. Coach, chaos this weekend. Eight top 25 teams lose. Six lose to unranked uh, unranked teams, including three top 10 upsets to unranked teams. It was chaos this weekend, but Coach, man, how you feeling? Feeling great, baby. Feeling great. But that's the sport that we love. Mm. Every Saturday, I, supposedly, everybody has an opportunity. I I love it, but listen, I don't love our prediction record right now. I got to go back and calculate it, but not looking great for either of us. Not looking great for anybody last <laughs> week. I mean, I, I would be very shocked if anyone predicted some of the chaos that we saw last week. But man, coach, real quick, a huge, huge win for you guys this weekend. Uh, overtime win over Alabama State. Listen, it's a tough it's tough in college football to go win on the road regardless, man. But you guys go out there. Your guy Aaron Allen has an all-swag performing, what, 300-plus passing yards. And, and and I know you as a wide receiver coach love to see those wide receivers get those opportunities, man. How you feeling after the big win? Man, feeling good. Uh, like you said, any chance, anytime you get a chance to win a game, it's a good thing. Um, whether it's overtime, you know, whether you win by .5, you still get a win, still feels better uh, after the game on that long bus ride home uh, with the win than it did, you know, would have been with, uh, with the loss. But Aaron played like uh, – he played like uh, Al Bundy, man, at Poke High. Uh, he was in control, baby, in control. Man, I, I was pumped for you guys. I was watching, Coach. I, I, I can always, I can always see you on the broadcast, or at least I could this weekend, because you, you were the coach that was like furthest toward, like wherever the offense was. You were like all the way down the sideline. You were like the main coach that's all the way down the sideline in, in overtime. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see the back, but then when it got to overtime. I, I need to make sure that I help the officials see everything. Uh, <laughs> you know, make sure they had another set of eyes to kind of help them. I may have been out of the box just a little bit, but. Uh, you know, sometimes they can get all the help they need and I'm willing to give it to them, you know, that kind of thing. You can't say it, but I can, especially in the swag. So I, I don't blame you for getting down the field on that one. But coach, man, let, let's kick it off here. We're, we're, guys, we're just going to do, you know, a lot of storylines, just kind of toss it around because there's so much to talk about, man, just instead of even game recaps. But coach, we got to take it up to the Fargo Dome, North Dakota State, knocked off by South Dakota in a, I mean, Coach, South Dakota led the entire game. 24-19 win was up 21-3 to at halftime. And, Coach, I mean, really and truly, up until the end, it really wasn't close. And I think this is interesting, Coach. The, the, the South Dakota has now won, has now beaten a ranked team every single season since 2013 now. A huge streak. That's... That's impressive, but what were your biggest takeaways from this monumental upset of the number two team in the country? Man, uh, it was at home. Yep. Uh, and they don't, you know, usually lose up there. And, you know, going through the numbers, catching highlights, uh, trying to get ready for the show, uh, NDS, they won in just about every category. Uh, you know, 35 minutes of uh, time of possession, uh, I just don't understand, but, you know, hats off to uh, CB. He went crazy, five for 124, two touchdowns. Maybe that was the thing that put him over the top. And, you know, they got out early enough. Uh, I think it goes back to always I was referenced back to uh, Nebraska football of old. If they get behind, 
uh, early. It's going to be tough for them to come back and win. And I think that's what played out here. Not that they were running the wishbone, but everybody knows what they like to do offensively. And now you put them in a different comfort zone. I think uh, that's why uh, SDU was able to hold on after you know jumping out with such a big lead. Yeah, like you mentioned, man, Carter – Carter Bell was a problem. Five for 124, two touchdowns. But, Coach, this is this was my biggest takeaway. You're an offensive coach, so I know in your mind you want Alcorn to have the ball as many times as possible during a game. You want as many chances to get the yards to the points because that, that plays to y'all's strength. South Dakota and North Dakota State had 13 total drives this game. North Dakota State had the ball six times in the entire football game. South Dakota had the ball seven, including the final possession, which was just pretty much a kneel, a kneel down effect. Man, I mean, you look at this, you're talking about putting an absolute importance on making those possessions count. I think that was might have been the difference, coach, because when you look at South Dakota, touchdown on all three first half possessions outside of the last one where the clock ran out on them. And you look at North Dakota State, they kind of struggled early. They got they got a field goal up there, but they just weren't able to find the end zone to the second half. When you shorten the game like this, it almost puts the pressure on your opponent. Like, hey, if we don't score, we don't know. We, we might only get four or five chances to put this thing in the end zone. Yeah, it, it, it forces you to really, really be efficient. And, you know, like you said, it, it takes it uh, it takes the importance to being good with the football uh, to another level, and it kind of goes to the old league that I used to play in in arena football. Uh, if you can get two stops and your offense can can score, you're guaranteed almost a win in the situation. And with the new timing rules, we talked about it from the beginning of our show, uh, you know, a month or so ago. Uh, it, it is playing big now, I think, in ball games as such, because, like you said after maybe two, three possessions, you may not get it another time in that half. It's just, you know, you got to be efficient. Yeah, I think, and I think that was the difference, Coach, because you look at that first drive for NDSU, they get down inside the 20 of South Dakota, come away with the field goal. Late in the third quarter, they get inside the 10-yard line of South Dakota, got to settle for a field goal. That ultimately was the difference in the game is they just weren't able to convert on those deep red zone opportunities because both those drives, Coach, they burn over nine minutes of possession time. I mean, it, and, and it's almost like North Dakota State has that advantage where if they're up, they can burn the clock very quickly and put together those long drives. But if you don't convert and you get down, it almost starts working against you in the second half. And it's almost like they became their own worst enemy based on the type of offense that they were running. Yeah, 35 minutes of uh, time of possession. Um, and like you said, when you're getting down there and you're not coming away with points, uh, it, it starts to work against you. And I think that's kind of what happened in this situation. Because you go back and you look at the uh, the numbers, you know, 348 to 269, uh, nine yards less in the passing game. I mean, they weren't efficient when they needed to be efficient uh, in my eyes. Just because of, like you said, the way they run their offense. Uh, and now you've got South Dakota who hit a couple quick strikes got out early and was able to hold on. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I got to say this. Uh, looking at – I want to get your opinion. When I don't know what the coaches polled. I, I didn't have a chance to look at the coach, coaches poll today, so I don't know where they ranked North Dakota State. They dropped, uh, I want to say, seven in the media poll. 
where do where do you feel like is a fair ranking for North Dakota State? And for you, being that it's week five going into week six, do you think that South Dakota deserved to jump above North Dakota State? Oh, man. Um, I think uh, NDS, I, I think they go outside the top ten. You're at home. You lose that. I don't think it's a deal of where you fall two, three, four spots. I think it's a deal of where, you know, you have to go to number 11. To me, I think you have to go to number 11. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily want to crown uh, SDU, uh, but I think you give them some love, uh, some votes, but you can't put them in the top 25 if a couple weeks ago you didn't put Western Carolina in the top 25. Ooh. You can't Ooh. do it. It doesn't make sense. Agree with you there. I, I, we're, we're on the same page. Listen, I got Western Carolina number six in my ballot. Um, I, I'm riding. Listen, I'm riding the 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 bandwagon for the catamounts until the wheels <laughs> fall off. Now, if it falls off this week, listen, a tough road game against Chattanooga this weekend. Brutal game. Chattanooga's really good at home. And then you got that Furman game in two weeks. Listen, if the wheels fall off, Listen, I'm riding it till we break down the side of the road, and then I'll find my next bandwagon to hop on. But, I, I, <laughs> Coach, I, I'll be honest. I had North Dakota State drop seven spots. I had them at nine on my ballot. I, I still give them the, – I still think they're a top-ten team based on the fact that the Central Arkansas and Eastern Washington wins are really good. Those are two really great wins. And I think the way I rank my teams as coach, I got a spreadsheet. Listen, I got a spreadsheet, strength of schedule, top 25 wins, top 10 wins. Listen, we got we got a lot of analytics going on. I still think they have a better resume than Delaware, Incarnate Word, North Carolina Central. So I gave them the slight edge, but I did jump South Dakota to eight. I'll be honest. I, I think they got the best win in college football right now. I agree with you on some of that. But, but... You can't lose that at home. I'm with you on that. You can't lose that at home. Um, to me, outside of the top twenty, outside of the top ten, uh, would have been fair. Nine, I just don't know. Uh, Way better than some people having them at like four. If you got them in the top five, still, you got that's ridiculous. Because nah, nah. they were at home, you can't do that. That's that's uh that to me is discrediting what what South D did. Um, if you're saying, oh, that was just a slip up, we're just gonna knock them down too. Uh, if you knock them down too, then you gotta move SD uh, right behind them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Cause it, it, it's so tough. Well, I want to save the top twenty-five talk because we're gonna get into a, some in-depth one in just a minute. But coach, we'll kind of combine these segments here. Who, in your opinion, and we'll kind of go through the games as we talk about it, who had the worst loss this weekend out of the top 10 teams that dropped? North Dakota State, Holy Cross, or William & Mary? Which of the three were the worst loss, in your opinion? So, since we're already there, I had to flip back to the biggest winners, biggest losers. Um, I have a tie for that in William and & Mary and uh, Holy Cross. Uh, William & Mary... Because to me, you were you were right there on the cusp of becoming, you know, that household name. You, you're right there, and then you go out and you throw for 36 yards. Uh, that's just not in a game that you should have won. I think them and then Holy Cross, uh, 
five turnovers, 200 yards on the ground. Uh, you give up 200 yards on the ground, five turnovers for a top-tier team is just not not excusable. Um, and I know as the guys with the college shirts, man, after they go back and look at that, I'm sure they are, are a fighting man uh, because you just can't turn it over five times. And you're supposed to be a top-tier program uh, who almost beat Boston College. You know, you cannot have lapses like this if you're trying to become a championship caliber program. Uh, so those are my two biggest losers. Uh, and then hats off to uh, JC, man, who went absolutely nuts in that game. Uh, seven for 176 and two touchdowns. Uh, did his thing. Yeah, Jalen Coker's my guy. I mean, listen, I've had him on the show. Man, he has a – listen, shout out, shout out to his mom too, man. She she is always on the channel, watching the show, supporting on social media. So shout out to her. Oh, man, it's so tough. Okay, because I can spin it a few ways, Coach. I do agree it's probably between Elon and William and & Mary. I mean, or William and & Mary and, and um, Holy Cross just because of this. Man, that William & Mary offense is bad. Yeah. Oh, it. Oh, it's so bad. I mean – Listen, I, I I know I get it. Like, listen, you're an offensive guy. I played O-line. We're two kind of offensive-minded guys. But if you're the defensive guys in the collar shirts, you can't ask for anything more than holding a team to 14 points. Like, if we hold a team under 20 and we don't win, yeah. uh, you're looking across the locker room like, hey, bro, could, could y'all have given us anything more than what, what we got today? And I'm living that real life, you know, um, because, you know, those kids – on the other side, and it's a team game, no doubt about it, but as the guys in the college shirt and you watch those guys pitch three outs, three and outs after three and outs after three and outs, and then you go out there and you go three and out after three and out after three and out, it's kind of tough to look at those guys and be like, hey, man, give us one more opportunity. Then they give it to you and then, hey, man, give us one more stop, you know, that kind of thing. So it becomes tough, but, you know, it's a team game, but you, you've got to get better than 36 yards of, of, of passing. You've, you've got to get better than that. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at William & Mary, and it's just like I'm going to give the slight edge to William & Mary because of the offense. Like I get that Yoder was out at running back, but you still ran for 300 yards. Yeah. How do you run for 300 yards and put up six points? Now, you did get stopped at the one-yard line early in the first quarter, turnover on downs early, and then – you put together another big drive, ends in a field goal. And then you put another another big drive with good field position, ends in a field goal. And it's just like, then you get to the Elon 13 and you fumble it. And then then you throw an interception the next drive. And then you get up, then you turn over on downs inside the Elon 11. It was like you had ample opportunities to win this game time and time again. And your defense is out here balling against a top rushing rushing attack in Elon holds them to 115 on the ground and their quarterback has an efficient day throwing for just under 200 yards but I don't know listen Nate Lynn John Pius are the two uh, two of the most elite edge rushers out there and they have Ryan Poole balling Alex Washington Isaiah Jones it was just William and Mary looked so so stagnant through the air. Darius Wilson, coach, coming into the year was one of the top five graded quarterbacks, according to Pro Football Focus. When your starting running back is out, when you're running for 300 yards, I need more from my starting guy than five for 14 for 36 yards. That's where you're supposed to take over. Um, that's where you get your shine on, and that's where you make the guys in the college shirt start to rethink uh, the, the focus of the offense. Um, you know, instead, I think now, They've got to come up with a 
a totally different plan because if he can't come back, you're going to be faced with the same thing because the next opponent you play would be crazy not to implement something from that blueprint blueprint from Elon defensively, uh, which held you guys to 36 yards. I mean, that's that's just not going to cut it if you're not going to be able to keep the score going. That's just not going to cut it. And you look at William & Mary coach now, too, with their resume. This is why William & Mary had the had the steepest drop of any of these three teams that lost out of the top 10. They dropped a 20 for me just because when you look at their resume, it really has aged poorly. Now, Campbell, I still think it's a good team. They've played a brutal schedule, but now Campbell's, what, a three-loss team after losing to Central this past weekend? So that's not a top loss anymore. You struggle against Charleston Southern. 15-7 to isn't expiring. And then your other two wins are Wofford and Maine. So really the, the one true test you had against Elon, you failed. And it's, and it's this thing, Coach, when you look at the Charleston Southern game, you look at Maine, you look at Wofford Campbell, the defense was great. The defense has been elite. The offense is putting up stupid numbers. They're driving the football, driving the football, making good plays. And then it's like as soon as they get in a position to do something, it's a turnover or they just forget how to score in the red zone and score in that red area. And it's eventually when you play good teams, it's going to cost you. And it just it, it cost them this weekend, Coach, because when I look at that Elon game, they had too many chances to win. Now you look, they played Virginia. Power five team, not a great power five team, but you can't make those mistakes against them. Townsend just knocked off New Hampshire this past weekend. Monmouth has been competitive in some of their top games. And then, Coach, to end the season, you got to go at Albany and against Richmond. That at Albany game is not a guaranteed win like a lot of people thought to start the year. We'll get to them in just a little bit. But, Coach, shifting to Holy Cross, the reason I didn't give it to them is, oh, I know people hate saying this. And I, I know I'm going to – I know some people are going to be mad I said this. I still come away from that game saying Holy Cross was the better team on the field. And I can see how you can say that. Um, but then also the turnovers are a part of the game. Oh, I'm with you. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying. No, I'm saying it's like, yeah, yeah. Being the better team on the field. Uh, turnovers are still part of, part, part of the game. And uh, they gave up 200 yards on the ground. Yep. But I see, I see. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Though. I will. <laughs> I get it. I will. I will say this, Coach. This was the worst defensive performance I've seen from Holy Cross since they played uh, Montana's. What was no, not not Montana's. Who who do they play in the playoffs? South Dakota State. They really struggled against the run. But Coach, when I look at this too, this is crazy because Harvard is the first team in a long time to beat Holy Cross in the regular season. 19 consecutive wins for the Crusaders in the regular season. That heck of a run. That heck of a run, but when I look at this, it was like Saluka to me. Man, that what I know we threw for 325, four touchdowns. The three interceptions he threw were just bad plays, and that's plays that he doesn't make on a normal Saturday. It was just like, man, if whole if you take away just one of those, it's a completely different game. It's like you look at Saluka now, it's like, was this your wake up call? Because me and you have been praising him on this show. That kid was. Yeah on the fast track to the Walter Payton. And he still might be, listen, he still might be. Cause listen, one game doesn't define a resume, but it was just the players that don't usually make mistakes for Holy cross continuously 
made the mistakes on Saturday, and it was such a weird game. But you do have to give credit. Listen, Charles DePrima played well. I love uh, what's it, the Cooper kid at tight end that had five for 73 in the touchdown. He, he was balling out. Matt Hudson, Thor Griffith played really well. It was just, to me, Holy Cross played their worst game in probably two seasons, man. It it, it really shocked me, but you do got to give Harvard props, Coach, because you know this. On Saturday, if a team opens the door for you, you got to you got to storm through it, and they did, man, because they made Matt, every mistake that Holy Cross made. Harvard made them pay, and that's something that not a lot of teams could take advantage of. So you do have to give Harvard a lot of credit. But that's how you win these games. Um, Harvard turned those mistakes into into uh, golden opportunities for themselves and cashed in on them. And that's how, as an underdog, that's how you win these games. Yeah, I, I'll say this, coach. The three. Go ahead. I said, no, you come away with seven, not three. Yep. And that's what they did, Coach. Three interceptions by Saluka turned into 17 points for Harvard, including the pick six. That's points you don't factor in. You know what I mean? You don't factor in. Yeah, man, and shout 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 out to Harvard, man. That was a huge win, made a big jump in my rankings. Um after that one, coach, shift into the CAA quickly before we get into some top 25 talk. Man, it's chaos. William and Mary gets knocked off. Townsend catches New Hampshire. You Albany catch you Albany catches Villanova. I mean, you still got Delaware who was on a bye week who's rolling. Rhode Island looked better this week. Coach, what do you make of the CAA? And right now, just in your opinion, based on the film we have, who is the best, who is your favorite or the best team in the CAA right now? Um Hold on to your seats. I went back and forth with this when we talked about the the subject. Hold on to your seat. Um, And I'm going to explain why. I'm going with Elon. Uh, It was between them and Delaware, but I'm going with Elon because Elon, this past week, uh, I think they could have easily folded, went in there and folded or whatever, but they they stood up and they played played timely defense – they are William and Mary were supposed to be the cream of the crop and they went in and they took them out and they, they suffocated them. You know, it wasn't like it was a shootout. They imposed their will. Um, true. William and Mary had some self-inflicted stuff, but Elon again, capitalized just enough to uh, win the game. The other thing that they did, they had timely special teams where they were able to keep the field uh, position in their favor. Um, so Delaware didn't give me anything this week because uh, they were mine. But then when I went back, I'm like, you got to give it to Elon. They just did it on the field this week. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I'm not going to complain about that. I think there were three obvious choices to me, Elon and Delaware being two of those three. Because, I mean, look, Coach, Elon, 0-2 start. That loss to Gardner-Webb really kind of kicked me off the bandwagon and they just rolled back a and blowout win beat a Campbell team that's been really promising at the time now I don't know how that's aged but and then they beat William and Mary they found a lot of momentum that if they can keep it rolling they're going to have a real chance the tricky thing predicting the CAA is that not everyone plays each other yes. that's the hard thing and there's not divisions or anything like that coach I'm going to go uh, I, I'm, a, oh, man, I, I'm with you it was between Delaware and you Albany for me okay I, I don't, 
I think I might be the only person that is as high as I am on you, Albany, right now. And I'm okay standing on the island by myself right now. I'm okay with that because because me and you were probably one of few standing on that island with Western Carolina earlier yeah. this this season. So I'm cool with standing by myself right now. You, Albany, right now, Coach, 3-0 and against FCS competition. A big win over a top-20 Villanova team who just a week ago demolished Rhode Island in a, in a top-25 matchup. And then when I look at the makeup of the team, they got two close losses to FBS schools. I mean, they easily could have won that first one, and then Hawaii kind of got away from a late. But when I look at the makeup of a team that can win this conference, I need edge rushers, I need, and I need a quarterback. Because I think the quarterback plays the biggest question mark when you look across the conference. I'm going to say this. I'm hoping he doesn't. I hope he doesn't make me look like a fool when I'm clipped two weeks from now. <laughs> There's an argument to be made right now, Coach, that Reese Poffenbarger is the best quarterback in the conference. Okay. Let's write that down somewhere and see if we can't yeah. come back. Yeah. I'll say this. There's an argument. Now, listen, Hodge Malik at Campbell, a baller. Not taking anything away from him, but it does matter some where Reese has shown the ability to win some of the bigger games this year. While Hodge, in the biggest moments, puts up good stats, but he just he can't the do play. enough to get his the play. Yeah, because let's be honest, the only position in college football or or, or football in general that counts wins and losses is the quarterback. That's oh, a quarterback stat. So Poffenbarger right now undefeated against FCS, top twenty five win, and then coach pass rushers. We've talked about this. Anton Junkov leading the nation. I want to say he has nine sacks right now for the year. Man, I mean, he is just putting up ridiculous stats. Or, or Ori John Charles, AJ Simon, they got talent all over the place. I just feel like this team coach is built to compete. And if it comes and in the biggest moments, it really comes down to quarterback play. I got a feeling Poffenbarger can go toe to toe with anybody else in the conference right now. I like it. Like I say, I'm, I'm not doubting it, but I mean, I, it's, Oh, I, I will. I'll, I'll ask you this too, Coach. Oh. I, I I know you can only offer a limited because because you're busy on Saturdays and everything. Over under. Oh, I don't know how I'm put this. Okay, do you think the CAA can get three or more bids in the FCS playoffs? I don't because I feel like you're gonna have more of the the Elon William and Mary type things happen um in the next couple of weeks, and I think it's gonna be the uh, the top two. And that third team just not getting in. Uh, whether that's Delaware, William and Mary, Elon, New Albany, um, I don't know if there's another dark horse that can make up enough ground in the what five six games left. I don't know if there's another dark horse that can make up enough ground, but I don't think three. I, I think it's got to be two. Uh, and if we're playing spades, we're gonna say two and a possible. I like that. I think because you get the one automatic bid who has whoever the champion is, uh, which right now, based on the standings because of Delaware's bye week, that would be Elon. I think you would get Delaware in right now. You Albany would be somewhere probably on the bubble because I think not everyone's as high on them. I would say I would have went over. I think I'm at three. I would have went over three if New Hampshire doesn't collapse down the stretch against Townsend like they did. That Townsend loss is going to kill them when it comes to. Yeah, but I will say, and Timothy makes a good point, the Southland being arguably one of the worst conferences in the country right now might help the CAA get an extra one, but you're competing with the Big Sky's fifth-best team. Like, if it came down to, like, an Eastern Washington and a New Hampshire, like, you're probably going to go with the Eastern Washington. Just because of the resume alone. 
Yeah. I, I will say I, 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 I might, I'll have to put a little um like star down here because I totally forgot to mention this guy, in my quarterback rant, Max Brosmer too, from New Hampshire is another guy who probably has an argument to be the best quarterback in that conference too. He's putting up ignorant stats, but coach, Shifting over real quick um, to the big sky, man, a huge win for Idaho this weekend. I know me and you have been riding the bandwagon really hard for the Vandals. I will say, though, I w- the reason I wanted to address this game, Coach Visprus missed a game for an injury that kind of wasn't – you know how it is in the FCS. Not everyone drops injury reports. So a backup quarterback for Eastern Washington, and they st- – Still competed really well with Idaho, 44-36. I want to ask you, when you look at this game, does the win does the win carry as much weight for you for Idaho, given that they beat a team with a backup quarterback? Or do you think Eastern Washington is just better than a lot of people are giving them credit for? Um, I'm going to say 50-50. And I say 50-50 because uh, Idaho's best player, the QB, you know how I feel about him, uh, was I don't want to say subpar, but he was he was good. He was manageable, yeah. and they still went for almost 500 yards of offense. And you know you do that on the road, and then you give a team uh, almost three football fields on the ground, and you're 100 on fourth downs, seven yards of play. I think they they weathered the storm on the road. It's tough to win, but it's even tougher to win on the road. And I think when you get there. And we're talking about kids, B, and you can tell me if you buy it or not. But I think there was some, a, a little bit of let off because that guy wasn't playing. Yeah. And I think, you know, the let off was like, okay. And then EY started to play. Oh, snap, we better turn it back on. This kid can actually do something. So I think there was a little bit of let down. But, you know, Idaho uh, offensively found a different way, so to speak, to get it done. That's why I say, you know, still 50-50, but I think uh, EY showed folks that they can play as well. Um, and some of their losses uh, are, as we talked last show, are good losses. Yeah, I, I, I do. I kind of agree with this. Timothy, man, Timothy must be still in my show notes because, man, he he's in the chat just beating me to the punch while you're talking. Um, I feel like. Eastern Washington played it smart because we know the type of quarterback Vispers is more of a pocket guy, big arm, going to push down the field. When you look at Jared Taylor, straight dual threat guy. They're going to do it all with his legs. And I really do think it kind of caught Idaho off guard. You game plan Vispers, Vispers, Vispers. We got to do this. We got to do that. They come out with Jared Taylor. And this is a guy that what he rushed for what? 120 and two touchdowns on Saturday. He would, he was just, he was just balling out there. And so you, I think it caught, I think it caught Idaho off guard. Now, I will say the only thing that does concern me about this Idaho game is, listen, I know I've ranked them above Montana State but because of resume right now, but if you're struggling with the quarterback run, when you go up against the Bobcats, there's going to be a lot of quarterback running, a lot of run. Like You've got to find a way to stop that, man. That's the only thing that draws concern, Coach, but I will say they're going to be more prepared for it against Montana State. And that's what I was going to say. Um, you know, nobody, the guys in the college shirts, uh, when they're putting together a game plan, you know, who's on the roster, but nobody comes and puts in a separate, you don't have time. So you're thinking all week that this kid is going to play and not realizing there's a night and day difference between the guy that's behind him. 
I'm sure it took them a, a little bit to to make those adjustments. Every DC in the country has a defensive game plan for a dual threat guy. But those are things you got to work during the week. You just can't go out there. It's like when you play option teams. You can't just jump out there and go play an option team and think that, you know, your regular defense is going to work. No, you got to have a week of actually working that. And I think, uh, like you said, once they get into the schedule and they know that guy's the guy that they're coming up that next week, I think they'll have a better plan early to uh, keep them out of the tight situation they were in. And that's, you know, putting it lightly. Yeah, I'm with you. And I I think the biggest thing for Idaho is that they showed me they can win games in multiple different ways. On the Je- road. On the road, too. Listen, if you told me beforehand that Giovanni McCoy was going to give me eight for 18 for 128 and a pick, I'd be I would I would have been nervous about my pick. I would have called you everything but uh, a good guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean like- that that that's not going to cut it, but I mean, listen, Anthony Woods, two eleven and five touchdowns, averaged almost ten yards per carry. I mean, that's disgusting. And then Nick Romano going for one twenty nine, seven yards to carry. Give them props. Listen, they saw something on film because when you look at Eastern Washington, they gave up what almost two hundred yards to the uh, Larison kid from UC Davis before he went out with injury. Idaho saw that film and said, "Listen, we're going to run it down their throats until they stop us." And at the end of the day. They weren't able to stop it. 363 and five touchdowns on the ground is going to get you beat at home, on the road, neutral site, anywhere. Oh, I no doubt. Um, when you give up three football fields of rushing, that, that's not helping yourself. And then it's also, as we said at the beginning of the show, it's also forcing you to be really good offensively because that clock is just moving. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But, Coach, man, shifting to a, a, the top 25, I mean, listen, we – we talked about all these upsets, everything like that. I want to ask you something from a coaching perspective and also just how you feel about looking how how you how you as a coach evaluates teams. How much stock do you put into common opponents? Now we know the tr- the transitive property doesn't work in college football, man. Week to week, anyone can get caught. But just when you're not just scouting a team week to week, what do you what are the important things for pe- that people should be taking from common opponents when you're scouting a team? Styles. Um, I think styles really play a part in that because when you're talking about, and I, I don't even know why I always use this, this team as an analogy or whatever, but Nebraska of old, you, you play them, Blue Bloods University plays them, totally different. Um, so I think, you know, styles come into play when you're saying common opponent because you may do something completely different than the other team. Now, you still go back and you go position and you try to break down, you know, as best you can position-wise what kind of player this guy is, what kind of player this guy is. But styles, team styles, um, I think is where that kind of gets a little hairy. Uh, If it's two of the same teams, uh, same styles, I think it has a lot of weight. If it's drastic, I think you just kind of at that point, you go player-wise and try to put it all together, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you because, like, there's been a big debate this week, Coach. I mean, listen, we've, we've talked about this, about slot voting, about people not watching the games. I mean, listen, there, there's a whole lot of criticisms that we've talked about with the top 25. But in a week like this, I feel like it really tested voters and kind of their approach to their ballots because you got eight ranked teams suffering losses, six to unranked opponents. And I will say this. I think the 
the resumes start getting so deep that head-to-head matters. I think head-to-head matters way less in week nine than it does in like the first few weeks of the season because at the end of the day, the resume was there at week nine. And if a team has four top 25 wins and gets upset like in that other team, that was the only upset win. Like, should it really be ranked above that team? I think you can make that argument. But in week five, I just feel like there's too many people, Coach, sticking to that preseason ballot. I mean, Sanford is... Sanford is still getting top 25 votes, Coach. That's gone. And me and you talked about it. Uh, to me, uh, nothing against them. But when they took that uh, Dub C loss, uh, to me, that puts you – and then they take another one after that. To me, you're gone at that point. Uh, just because of the way – the manner in which you lost. Um, you know, we're not talking overtime. We're not talking, you know, talking triple overtime or anything like that. Um, I think when you get manhandled, you know, those situations should play into the fact that, you know, you're moving. Now, if North Dakota State had got manhandled and you say you left them in the top 10, then you would have to have a discussion. If that was a handle type game, 35-14 type thing, you know, why are they still there? But, of course, nobody's going to break that down, but I think it kind of goes back to what you said. I started them here, so when they do slip, it's only a small slot where – as like you said, when you get deeper in there, okay, those slides, those losses should be coming at a steeper penalty in my in my eyes. Yeah, I'm trying to get the both polls up here. So coach, um coaches poll, let's see. Uh North Dakota State is eighth in the coaches poll. William and Mary is ninth in the coaches poll. Holy Cross falls to twelve. Montana sitting at thirteen in the coaches poll. Right now, um, let's see, Western Carolina only at 17, Harvard at 19, um, UC Davis is still sitting at 18, Eastern Washington is not even ranked um, right now, by the way, who beat UC Davis a week ago, uh, South Dakota's 21, Illinois State out of nowhere at 22, New Hampshire still ranked coach 2-3 and three after a loss to Townsend ranked 24th. And Rhode Island tied for 25th, and that is after Albany. Let's see. Albany only received 10 votes, Coach. So Albany just beat Villanova 31-10. to 10. Villanova is still in the top 20. Albany only gets 10 votes. Fordham, who you Albany beat at Week 0, is still getting six, no, 26 more votes than you Albany. Make that make sense. And then the part I was going to ask you when you were rolling through the names early, uh, that – what what's the in your opinion, and I know we get off track a lot, and I'm sorry, but I gotta know. Uh, what's your opinion as to the the lack of respect for Western Carolina? I don't get it because offensively, it, you want to go look at stats. They have that. Yeah, they have a quality win of a top ten team, and it wasn't close. Uh. Uh-uh. I mean, they have looked so impressive in all. Like, yes, maybe they. You know, I think I want to say their schedule. Hang on, let me try to pull up the spreadsheet. I think I think they've played a top fifty strength of schedule. They have a top ten, top twenty five win. They're undefeated against FCS competition. It, and and coach, even the bad, the I guess quote unquote bad teams they've played, they've demolished them. Like it, uh, what they put up seventy seven. Yeah, two weeks ago. Against the team that William and Mary put up 15 against and beat them 15 to 7. They beat them like 77 to 20. And what, it, and Mary. 
yeah, way below William and Mary. William and Mary is still in the top 10. I mean, I don't know what else they have to do. Now, I will say, um, let's see, there's seven, there's 17 in this poll, and in the media poll, they are 11, which is a little bit more respectable, but still behind William and Mary at 10. North Dakota State falls to seven in that poll. And hang on, let's see. Where did Holy Cross fall to? Um, if I lose Holy Cross, do they not rank? Holy Cross is 12, so they're above Holy Cross at least. It's just, I, I, I'll i be honest with you, Coach. I, I, I've i said this, listen, because I, I talked to, me and KJ Black had a conversation about this, about how the coaches poll, there's there's coaches voting that can't name every FCS conference. I mean, you've got to at least know the basics. And then, plus, your box score watching, you probably don't, like, is anyone actually paying attention to how impressive Western Carolina has been? I don't know. I mean, Coach, I don't know who's all voting in the coaches' poll because it's anonymous each year. How I, I really want to know, outside of SoCon coaches who are on the voting committee, how much film have people watched on Western Carolina? None? I, I would agree. Less than 1%. <laughs> Less than one percent, because I, I I ask you this, and then we get back to uh, this rip. But does Holy Cross resume does that keep them where they are? Uh, should it have dropped them, or you know, with their resume, is that why they just take a small slide? Um, okay, so comparing resumes, just like because we're on the Western Carolina conversation. So Western Carolina right now is four and one, four and zero oh against FCS competition. Has a top ten, top twenty five win. Has played the forty fifth strength of schedule and is ranked twenty fourth by the like Massey or BCS FCS polls. When you compare that to North Dakota State, who's played the forty first strength of schedule, so no real difference there. Zero top 25 wins and is three and one against FCS competition, including a home loss. So now we're going off name, basically. Yeah, that's off a name. And then it gets even worse, coach. And then you go to Holy Cross, that's three and two, three and one in FCS competition, has played a weaker schedule, number 47 in the country, zero FBS wins, zero top 25 wins. Apparently, they got a better resume. And then you go to William & Mary, who has played the 80th-ranked strength of schedule this year, coaches, 4-1 and one against FCS competition. And in the common opponent game, struggle with Charleston Southern and Western Carolina put up 77. That alone. I mean, now you're going off name and tradition, I think, is, is what we're doing now when we look at that ballot. Uh, if we hadn't personally seen uh, Blue Bloods University play, uh, we just know that they have a track record for being a really good program. People, I think people are getting confused. Fans, media, voters, they get confused between like a power ranking and like what a, what this should more be, where I think they're projecting more. Like where you're looking at North Dakota State and you're like, man, I bet you they're going to probably reel off three straight wins here. So let me just not drop them so I don't have to do the work later. I don't want to look crazy to me. And this is what I put in my in, in the article I released today about my top 25 I said, in my opinion, each week, each ballot should reflect the best teams in the country if the season ended today, strictly based on what happened on the field. It, yeah. it should, it shouldn't be historical brand recognition, preseason expectations, projections into the future that haven't ha happened yet. It not, there's no hypothetical matchups to be used. Uh, we talked about that confirmation bias last week, where it's like, well, if this team and this team played 
you know, seven weeks from now, who would you pick? Like, you don't know either. We saw no one was picking Harvard to beat Holy Cross, so let's not use that. It's teams should only be judged based on the resume through the first five weeks of the season, and that's how the rankings should work. It shouldn't be based off of anything else in that. I'm with you. Um, that case in point alone, you know. I, yeah, I, I think that that ends the debate completely on that. Like, that's how you should be ranked. And I think until about week seven or eight, you should be really, you should be able to really fluctuate your ratings. Now, by week seven or eight, if your rankings are so off that you have like no idea what you're doing, then yeah, maybe start fresh. But if you're really watching, if you're really watching football, I'm confident that in by week seven, I should have probably the top. 25 to 35 teams somewhere in my top like around there there might be a few changes based on upsets things like that but we should know who the best teams in the country are barring injury or anything crazy happening but right now man it's still week five there's still coach there's still teams that have only played two or three fcs teams we don't know anything about those teams right and we're still voting them in the top 10 top 15 top 20 stuff like that um shout yeah. out to hbcus that are still in the uh top 25 hey Shout out, uh, Grambling is really moving. I know you don't want to hear that. You can cup your ears, but Grambling's really moving up for me, man. That team has been balling out. I mean, they looked impressive against PV this weekend. I got FAMU in my top 25. Listen, I have Central. Where did I have Central? I want to say like 12. Did I win this bet? Huh? Did I cover? No, you picked Campbell. No, uh, FAMU. The oh, no, you did not cover. I didn't cover? No, they want. They ended up pulling away at the end. It was like thirty-one to seven. No, what was it? Someone in the chat put that you owed me that you owed me uh, the food or something. Hang on, let me see if I can find the comment. Um, oh yeah, My, he said, "Coach, you owe blue hashtag fam you." <laughs> it was what? close there for a while, but listen, Valley gave up. I want to say like three fourth quarter touchdowns or something crazy like that. Yeah. That grass, that grass only played three quarters, coach. You got to get on to it and say you got to play a, got to play a full game. But I had Central twelve, coach, because I get it. I, I'm sure. Did you see the social media chaos after that gamble NCCU game? Yeah, man. Woo, coach Oliver and those guys were not playing around. They were they were bringing out all the receipts. I love, I love it. I love it. I don't know if it's him or he's got somebody working it for him, but I absolutely freaking love it. Keep it coming, coach. Let them know you're there, baby. Listen, I coming off an injury, Davius Richard answered all the all the questions for me. What he had uh, a passing touchdown, almost 300 through the air, had 86 on the ground and four rushing touchdowns, coach. And then Mookie Collier on that game-winning touchdown, that's a grown man run. Ain't no doubt. He said, get off me, do not touch me. I'm, I'm getting to the end zone, and there is nothing. Like, they were going to have to hit him with a truck for him not to hit the end zone. Ain't no doubt. And um, just the way they roared back, man, uh, hats off to them. You know, they 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 fought. They could have easily folded it um, and chalked it up to what happened a year ago or whatever. Um, you know, hats off to them, hats off to that program, hats off to Coach Oliver. I, I want to ask you this real quick before we move on from this game because I'm trying to pull it up here. Coach Campbell dominated, you know, got dominated in time of possession, but they, I don't know how to explain this. Are they too explosive on offense? And the way I'm asking that is, 
they always start fast in all these games this year. They're putting up crazy touchdowns, crazy touchdowns, but they get dominated in time of possession because all their scoring drives are one, two, three play drives and the defense never rests. And then they always collapse in the second half. I mean, if you're the OC, you got to be frustrated because it's like we're playing amazing football early, but we're almost hurting ourselves in the second half because our defense never gets a rest. I think, um, and just kind of skimming through this game, uh, the first half, and we become, I don't want to say, how do I say it? I felt like they kind of took their foot off the gas. Uh, rather that was, you know, hey, we don't want to end up in the, not that they were going to score 77, but hey, we're just going to play it safe. We got enough to win, not realizing there's still a lot of time left in the game. I think that's what happened to them, and I, I'd be curious to go back and look, but I think once you get a big lead as that as a play caller, you tend to kind of back off because you don't want to make the big mistake. Uh, and what got you to lead was was throwing the ball and, you know, the explosive plays. And now that you've got to lead, you're content. You become content with the three and out. Uh, we didn't throw it. We didn't throw an interception. We didn't fumble it. Best thing is to kick it. But all the while, you know, they're scoring, and it's tough to turn it back on. So I just think uh, it's a fine line in that, man, but you can't take your foot off the gas. You you got to go. Yeah, gotta- I think – I think that's what happened with them is like they got too conservative with the with the play calling at times. But it's like, listen, if I if I don't I don't I don't care if I'm scoring at will. Like, bro, I'm racking it up. Gotcha. I, I I don't care, and I will say I agree. In, in uh, my guy Rob in the chat, NCCU. I don't because I actually said that this one the once the games I got to watch on Saturday. I didn't have to go back and look at the film. They made some crazy defensive adjustments too. You could tell there were some new guys in different play. Like the, the whole defensive scheme almost shifted after halftime. So you got to give NCCU props. And then listen, when you got that guy at quarterback, and coach, you know what I'm talking about. When you know you have always, that guy, you never always, panic. Yeah, you're always in it. You're always in it. And all you need from your defense is a little bit of help. Uh a stop here, stop there, a shank punt here, a shank punt there. Bam, you're right back in the game which is why you can't take your foot off uh, midway through the fourth. Okay, now we can turn around and just hand it off and, and punt the ball because it's going to, you know, the clock's going to roll. But you can't turn it off uh, midway third quarter. Too much time. No, and shout out to Trey Oliver and those guys. When that was, that was hard uh, uh, listen, I, I get it. Some people aren't really like football savvy and they're like, oh, it's a struggle win. It's this and that. That's the type of comeback win that sparks special things. And okay. if if they go on to win the Miat, go on to win the Celebration Bowl. Eh. Uh, I, I, know what, I know what you're saying, Abe. Let's just say win the <laughs> Miat. I know why you're saying, eh. If they go on to win it, coach, win the conference. This is a game that I think I can point back to and say, like, that was a season-defining win because if you lose that game, it cha- it changes the trajectory of the season, the feel of the season, because you might win it again like they did last year, but you still look back and it's like, man, what's, like, why couldn't we get over that one hump? Oh, no doubt, um, especially the way that they had just came off of that loss previous uh, to this game. Uh, it's definitely one that I think, they will point back to at the end of the year and be like, okay, this was, 
the defining moment. This was the turning point in the season where the guys got it, they brought all in, and we just took off and ran with it. Uh, most definitely think that that's, uh, that's that type of game, definitely. So, Coach, man, the last two segments quickly, Walter Payton, Buck Buchanan watch list. You know, this is really, for me, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it unless you got some guys you want to throw out there. But uh, it, it, it's tough because it's still early, and let's be honest, one's a quarterback award and one's an edge rusher award at, at the end of the day. So it's um, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. But, Coach, I got to say, I think when I look at quarterbacks, there's there's – I think four that kind of stick out to me right now. I think you got Max Brosmer from New Hampshire, Cole Gonzalez, Western Carolina. I'm still going to be pushing the bandwagon. CJ Montes from Fordham. Never thought I'd be saying it after week one, but that kid's been putting on a show for Fordham. And then I'm going to have to throw my guy, Matthew Saluka in, who's probably one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the game right now. And when you look at all these guys, I, I I really am kind of surprised about CJ Montez coach 16 passing touchdowns, zero picks and it's thrown for over 1200 yards. I mean, and Balling. they got a new OC at Fordham balling out of control. Uh, you you got to give him his props. I would lean Saluka right now, even after that performance against Harvard, just because it's a full resume thing. And coach, when you look at Saluka right now, a thousand passing yards, 14, 14 passing touchdowns, over 500 rushing yards, and four rushing touchdowns. The kid does it in so many different ways. And if he can bounce back and lead him to another Patriot League title, I think I'm going to give him the slight edge. But listen, Cole Gonzalez is coming, coach. The more film I watch on that kid, the more I like him. So I want to throw him in there for quarterbacks. And I got some running backs I want to throw in there, but I'm going to let you take over. I'm just disappointed, man. And I was going to go to McDonald's for this segment and ran out of time. Uh, and I was going to show my support for who I thought was in the top three. And you don't even have him in your top four. Uh, my guy out there in Idaho, man, he's doing it in a different way. Um, I think they are coming. Uh, again, I, I think they are going to be right there at the end. And I think if he gets them over the top, I think he becomes a legitimate uh, finalist for this war, this award, just because of the two the, the two seasons that he's put together last year and this year. If he gets them over the over the hump, um, I think he should definitely be on the Blue Bloods uh, candidate list. Uh, but but Mr. Uh, Western Carolina is is throwing that thing. He's balling out of control. He's definitely balling out of control. Yeah, and I want to say, because I see some people kind of upset that certain players aren't in there. This is just like a preliminary thing. Like, I just threw some names together. Real early. early. Yeah, it's still super early. These are just some, like, I've still not even done with my full – I haven't even gotten to wide receivers yet. I didn't even include them because they never get any love anyway in this this award. And I don't think there's any wide receiver that's had, like, a game-changing year yet. It's tough as a wide receiver. Because if a wide receiver's putting up five touchdowns, that means the quarterback's probably throwing five or six. And that's just how it works for us. You know, at the end of the day, we, we understand that on the outside. Uh, and he understands that being the trigger guy that uh, one don't work without the other. Uh, one is the, uh, the golden boy position. And the other one is just the extension of the golden boy position. Uh, so, but I think what I'm going to do, man, I'm going to get with the producers of the blue bloods uh, show. And we're going to put together a, uh, I don't know who we call it, Randy Moss Award or something. And we're going to come up with an award for the best receiver at this level at the end of the year. Um, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, 
anybody got any ideas, any sponsors want to come through for that? We're going to create a trophy and everything. Hey, I know my guys over at Walk On Apparel might be interested, so shout out to them if they're in the chat. I know they watch the show um, or anyone else that might want to sponsor that. We'll have to get that one together. We'll have to get some wide receivers some love. I will say the running back class, I get it's a quarterback award, and there's some honorable mentions at quarterback. Listen, Gronowski has a chance. Giovanni McCoy has a chance. I think Sean Chambers, I saw him in the chat for Montana State. If he's the full-time starter, he has a chance. The problem is him and Malott switch so much that it's kind of hard for him to be the guy. And, Coach, I'll just cup your ears again real quick because I know you don't want to hear this. Miles Crawley is putting together a damn good resume for this. He he's out there balling. So I know you don't want to hear that. And hopefully that ends this weekend for my guy, for my guy Crawley against coach over here. That's a big game. But listen, I was I was kind of putting the quarterback stats together and it was like Crawley ranks pretty high in this and he ranks pretty high in this. I was like, oh, he's being really efficient. He, he really is. He's being really efficient with the ball. Um, that move for him has done wonders for him. Ooh. This is this is when the transfer portal works. Uh, at its best, um, and hats off to that kid uh, for having the uh, the year that he's having up to this point, and and hopefully we can slow it down on Saturday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really being really efficient with the ball, he really is. Oh yeah, and then running back class real quick, coach. Before we switch over to the Butt Buchanan, listen, there's there's three guys and a fourth guy's an honorable mention for me: Sam Franklin for UT Martin, Shunderick Powell for Central Arkansas. And Desmond Reed for Western Carolina. I, I know that's two Western Carolina guys. I know people are going to be throwing up at, at this episode, but listen, Sam Franklin coach is averaging 157 yards per game right now with six rushing touchdowns. You go down to Shandarik Powell, coach, only 74 carries this year, but is averaging 10 yards per carry for almost 150 yards per game. Give that, give that man the ball. Hey, as those kids say, man, when he gets the ball, he's sliding, man. He he is, and uh, what per carry uh, is ridiculous. Yeah, 10, 10 yards per carry. And coach, they've played Oklahoma State, North Dakota State. <laughs> I mean, they they're playing like really good teams. Yeah, they're not playing cupcakes. Um, no. he's having a day every time he steps out there. Uh, but that per carry, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And they- and then you got Desmond Reed over 600 yards, averaging almost seven yards per carry, 10 rushing touchdowns right now, coach, through this through the first few games. I mean, he's on track right now to possibly have a 20-plus touchdown year. And you put that into perspective, man. That is bananas, uh, hitting the pay dirt 20 times. Uh, and he's not the fullback that waits on you to get it down there to the three-yard line and he just punches, punches it in. I mean, he's doing a lot of the work on his own as well. Yeah, and then Dylan Lobby and, and Dan already beat me to it. Anthony Woods for Idaho, too. Both of those guys yeah. are having phenomenal years. I mean, five touchdowns this weekend for Anthony Woods. But, I mean, Dylan Lobby, the reason that I think I give him the first honorable mention is because he's also the leading receiver for New Hampshire. So, it's like he does it in so many ways. Plus, he's an All-American kick returner. It's like I think we talked if, you're, about- yeah, if you're looking for, like, a guy who can do everything, Dylan Lobby is your guy. Plug and play. Plug and play. And quickly, man, the, the so we don't go too far over here, man. The the Butt Buchanan is still really up for grabs, especially because, you know, it's still early, super early in the season, man. But, Coach, I just want to read you the stat line. I'm not even going to say who it is. In five games, this kid has put up 75 total tackles 
seven for loss, three and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and nine quarterback hurries. His SID is really, really good. <laughs> God. Nah. Oh, man. Man. That's, uh, that's bananas, man. I mean, what do we do? And that's Jacob Dobbs from Holy Cross, who's coming off of a coach, a season-ending injury last year. And he did a lot of work versus BC. I mean, he wasn't just out there. He was wrecking havoc, I mean, and freaking, you know, up at Boston College that game. And uh, I just – right now, I'm, I'm like, he's got to be the front runner uh, unless, the, uh, unless the other kid gets to uh, – 13, 14 sacks, and then after that, it's just, I mean. Well, there's a few guys. Listen, Anton Junkai, we mentioned him. Or yeah. Anton Junk, uh, I want to say it's Junkai. Listen, if he if he hears the show, please tell me how to pronounce your last name because I know I'm butchering it, and I know Coach is going to butcher it as well. We'll call him, we're just going to call him Anton right now. Coach, 10 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks already this year. If he gets that, and, and it's realistic for him to get a half or at least one every game, uh, if he gets in the 15 range, um, I think you've got to consider him as well. Yeah, and then Nate Lynn is another is probably my number three coach. Nine tackles for loss, seven sacks already, two forced fumbles, including a big one this weekend to set William and Mary up where they weren't able to convert. That's another conversation. But just some honorable mentions: John Pius from William and Mary, two Stephen Parker from Incarnate Word, Elijah Williams, Morgan State, Trevin Gradney from Montana at defensive back, Cole Wisniewski. From North Dakota State as a defensive back, all those guys. But coach Trevin has four picks already this year. Stay away from him. <laughs> I mean, at, at some point you just got to stop, stop throwing it at him. It's like four picks already. Just stay away from him. Stay. I want to. I want to say the the league leader last year, coach, finished with seven, and he's got four through five games. With a lot more to play. Yeah, and and Bubba is putting up some good stats as well at at, at over at Alabama State. Uh, want to throw him in the Devonte Davis too at defensive tackle for Jackson. I want to say still leading the conference in sacks right now, which is stupid for from a defensive tackle. But I think Jacob Dobbs right now, coach, when you got when you when you're averaging almost twenty tackles per game, and it's not just normal tackles, it's solo tackles and tackles for loss. Man, it's hard to not pick that kid. Yeah, you, you got to account for them on the offensive side and the game plan. But when you're putting up those numbers, like you said, it's uh, and we're not talking about chase down tackles. We're talking about at the line, behind the line. You know, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. Coach, man, to wrap us up here, I know we're just a little bit over an hour, man. Biggest winners and losers from week five. Man, biggest loser. I think uh, NDSU. You uh you can't do that at home for obvious reasons, um, and then to keep it in my conference, I think uh, PV uh, for obvious reasons as well. Uh, that's my biggest losers, biggest winners: uh, Hampton, Graham, and us. Uh, Idaho for showing they're for real on the freaking road, finding a different way to do it. Uh, those are my biggest winners. I love the Hampton throwout. A huge win over Richmond. This weekend, man, shout out to Hampton out here. Out here, Coach, they're one of the only undefeated teams in the CAA in conference right now. So we didn't even mention them earlier. Hampton, they might get rolling here. I'm interested to see how they how they compete. I will say for losers, I'm going to throw it up to Holy Cross, number one. Coach, just for this, I don't think their, their loss was the worst. 
I just think because of the conference they play in, that loss hurts them the most moving forward. Now you're questioning whether they get a seed in the playoffs. And if you don't get a seed in the playoffs, you're on the road very early. And that's not going to bode well for them. They needed to probably win out in FCS games. I think if they can pick up a power five win, I want to say we're not power five, a, a group of five winning is army later that might be able to save them. But that loss really hurts Holy Cross and just a perception because they don't play one of the tougher conferences, tougher schedules. I think North Dakota state man, a home loss to South Dakota really calls into question because you still got South Dakota state, which that might be two losses. Northern Iowa is always a sneaky. T- they only they always play up to their competition, so we'll see kind of what that game turns into. There's some interesting games on that schedule that I don't think are going to be guaranteed wins based on the way they played this weekend. And again, William and Mary's offense, Jesus man, we got it. We got to do something with that. That's just unacceptable, even without Yoder at, at running back. I think for my HBCU loser, I got to. Oh, this is tough. I'm a, uh, I'm a good Norfolk. Ah, you finally got all that momentum going, and you choke it up against North Carolina A and T. Ah, yeah, that's kill. a tough one. That's yeah. a tough loss right there. And I mean, it because they're kind of on a losing streak, if I'm not mistaken, against A and T. And it was like if you're if you were ever gonna get them, this was kind of the year to get them, and they they cut they collapsed it. So, and I think for winners. It's obvious, man. Listen, South Dakota, huge winner this weekend. I agree with you. I got Grambling as a big winner. I got North Carolina Central as a big winner. I think Grambling, when you look at how big that win was, I mean, listen, PV had that streak. I mean, the eviction notices and the whole nine and Bubba McDowell before the game was like, man, we're gonna we're gonna go with you know talking this little trash, and they went out there and made a statement, and I think. They came in with so much doubt, Coach Hugh Jackson. Everyone wondering if he would he if he was going to make it past this year, if he could ever get a quarterback and this and that. They've answered all the bells, and the defense played really well, which is something that has not happened the first few weeks of the season. So that was kind of promising. And then I th- I think uh, beyond that, I'm gonna go U Albany because everyone's been sleeping on them a little bit, and they finally got that first ranked win. Kind of getting you know they might not be as high as me, but they're on the radar now. And if they can string together some CAA wins, they're going to be sitting really pretty moving forward. But, man, Coach, this weekend, a huge – I mean, listen, I'm sure the reservation right now is already buzzing, even on Monday with the game this weekend. Alcorn State hosts Grambling State this weekend in a huge SWAC West matchup. Coach, man, campus campus is a little bit different this week, isn't it? Uh, It's already starting, man, coming back uh, through the union – well, through uh, through the green. Uh, kids are out. They got something going on. Uh, you know, we had that talk with the uh, with the kids. You know, this is this week is not for you. Saturday after the game is for you. Uh, so yeah, huge. Uh, not just because of of who we're playing, but just because it's the next game. It's the next game up on the schedule. Uh, very big. And you know, there's a few things that that, that are at stake. So you know, uh, looking forward to it, man. Getting excited ready to get back out there in the morning, get to work on it, put together a game plan, and uh, throw it out there and see what happens, bro. Man, I, I forgot it was homecoming. At first, I was like, I was like, what's he talking about the week's not for you? I was like, damn, it is homecoming week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, y'all, y'all better get to the reservation 
right after this show or y'all are going to be stuck <laughs> on the stretch until after the game. Good luck. Cause listen, I've been there. I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning last year to get that Jackson game. Oh, it was, that was terrible coach. I was sitting there falling asleep on the stretch. Hey, so before we close it out, you're a mobile guy. You're, 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 you're close to it. Uh, I'll put you on the spot with some of your folks. I think we've done this before, but um, when you're out and about, at tailgates, do you ever run up on fish and spaghetti? Not to, I mean, I've, I, fish, yes. I don't, I don't think I've ever been in a tailgate that cooks spaghetti. Okay. Okay. The, the common ones, okay. So, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember because, uh, oh, what do I forgot what Mr. Kincaid cooked? Well, hell, he had like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. <laughs> Post game, I mean, they probably had everything, but it's like most tailgate. Listen, I will say some of the best seafood I've had was at the Southern tailgate I went to. Okay, and down in Baton Rouge, but listen, that that's Louisiana. We know what it is, and like even in Mobile, like it's it's a lot of seafood, it's a lot of ribs, and there's some fish. Like I know, I know it's big in some places, but yeah, spaghetti. I can't get. Where did you find? Who cooked spaghetti at the tailgate? It shows up, man. But I'm just I'm in against, Lorman. Yeah, I'm against spaghetti and fish on the same plate on a Tuesday night, let alone at a, a tailgate. I that, that just that just seems like a counterintuitive tailgate food. Like I I've never heard of anyone making spaghetti for a tailgate. I've seen a guy make ice cream out of the tailgate. Like make it or like just bring like, it. Ice cream, yeah. I feel like, th- yeah, that, 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 okay, let me say this. I don't know how to make ice cream homemade, so I'm not, I'm not I, might be, I might be ignorant about it. That seems like it would be way too complex of a process to be making at a tailgate. I think you mix it all in, you got your generator, and I think it just kind of does it itself. But for me, when he did that and he offered it, I'm just like, ice cream? You know what I'm, you know what's in my cup? That's not good. That don't mix with ice cream. You know, that kind no. of thing. Especially if it's like chocolate ice cream, because it like it leaves that taste. Like ah man, that's oh ice cream. <laughs> yeah, also true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know about that spaghetti and ice cream. Listen, we we got to. T- <laughs> I must be going to the wrong tailgates. I've never seen it, or 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 the tailgates I've been to. That was not the area that I was going to in terms of getting food. Like you got to keep it to the basics, man. Ribs, hot dogs, hamburgers, catfish, stuff like that. Like spaghetti man like i feel like i gotta sit down and like tuck a napkin in my shirt and like right. make sure i don't get it on my side this is too much like i said i'm against spaghetti on the same plate as fish and it could be a tuesday night let alone at a uh at a tailgate but that's a whole nother argument oh yeah uh, uh especially in lorman mississippi if you're doing that in like the first week of the season is way too hot to be eating spaghetti outside <laughs> so you're you're a seasonal spaghetti guy <laughs> I'm just talking about like spaghetti's a filling food. I can't be out. It can't be 107 degrees, and I go. I got to go sit out in the heat, and I just take spaghetti. And now you got like the meat sweats and all. Like this is no chance. So you're not going to uh, what's uh, what's my Italian restaurant? Uh, you're not going to Olive Garden <laughs> before November. Then I'm not saying November. I'm just saying if I got something to do outside and it's hot. <laughs> No shit. That's all I'm saying. Listen, shout out to the, shout out to my guy, the Rattler did. How do you like? No work is getting done after eating like a like a whole plate of spaghetti. I'm <laughs> coach. You're gonna catch me in the press box sleeping until about the third quarter 
after eating a whole plate of spaghetti. No chance. It's too filling. You got to have quick, easy, like food, especially especially if you're out there enjoying it. You like you said, you got your cut with you. Like you can't be eating spaghetti. Like that's a bad bad combination. Spaghetti, alcohol potentially, and heat. Oh man, that that sounds like the worst combination of all time. So when you go to the Dakotas, I know there's chili. You, do you not partake in the chili? See, I'm not a big chili. I'm not like a chili person. Okay. So I, I wouldn't eat chili regardless. But now nah, I probably want if even if I did, I probably wouldn't eat. I, I don't know about that. Listen, I, Dan said got a carb load for the big day. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, spaghetti though. I I don't know. I, I'm not putting that on my tailgate menu. But hey, listen. Uh, there's a lot of people who tailgate way more than me. So shout out to them if they they're out there cooking that spaghetti and homemade ice cream. That's going be of above and beyond. That should be on college game day. If it ever comes to Lorman, whoever's out there making homemade ice cream, that's the person they should feature. I ain't no doubt. I mean, he actually he did that. Like freaking did that. That that the <laughs> way. Like first of all, why? And second of all, like how do you do it? You know, like. Oh. Oh, do what you do. Oh man. Well, hey, we, we listen, you, you guys got you got you guys get it all here, man. Football analysis, <laughs> tailgate, tailgate connoisseurs. I mean, no, okay, no, that's ridiculous. Someone in the chat said chili and cinnamon rolls in the cold weather. Oh no, nah, we ain't doing that one. No, no, I, I listen. No, <laughs> I'm going the other route. Spaghetti and anything other than cinnamon rolls. No chance I'm eating those things back to back. No, I I'd have to go home. <laughs> Day over. I had to go home, man. No. <laughs> oh my God, man. Y'all are crazy. Oh man. That that this that was a good way to end the show, man. That was a good laugh, man. My chest hurts. <laughs> he says cinnamon rolls with your spaghetti. No, nah, there's no way. Oh God. Oh I mean, man. I don't even know if I can eat dinner now for the next hour thinking about that. Dan, yeah. you're killing me with that. <laughs> uh, I don't know how that's gonna go with the red cup. <laughs> oh man. Listen, I'm sorry, guys, but we spent 13 minutes on. Oh, madness. But listen, man, you guys hit the like button. Make sure to subscribe and uh, tune in Thursday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Central Time. YouTube, you can catch the replay of this on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. You follow me and my guy, Coach Friend, on social media. Uh, handles are there. Handles for the Blue Bloods are on the side as well. Um, guys, October 11th, FCS Football Central launches um, on Sports Illustrated Fan Nation, man. So make sure to prepare for that. We're already getting... Um, we're definitely already getting things rolling on that one. I've already kind of seen the uh, preliminary design and kind of ideas that we're rolling forward. Can't wait for that. You can catch me, my guy, Coach Fred, my guy, Timothy, contributed on the site when that launches, along with some other people I'm trying to get involved. But, guys, up until Thursday, man, for me, my guy, Coach Fred, we are out for right now.